the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, we're going to begin our program, as always, for the last year and a half, talking about COVID. With us is returning guest, Chris Phillips. He's going to talk to us about the latest treatments going on in COVID. And Chris, thank you for joining us again. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. Well, this is your third time on the show giving us... Um, an update on what, what's going on. But to remind our listeners, uh, your involvement with COVID and with patients, if you can give us a, a brief summary of, of what you're Absolutely. doing as a as your business on a day-to-day basis. Right, right. Yeah, so I've been a career nurse leader, healthcare executive, uh, over 30 years now. Uh, worked on within large hospital systems, payer organizations. And for the past five years, I've been with one of the largest um, top doc groups in the country, providers throughout the country, over 3,000, well, about 3,000 primary care providers and specialists, over 3 million patients. Um, I work with many um, payers on a national basis, you know, Anthem, um, United Healthcare. Um, Humana on this this pandemic and caring for people of all ages. I run a, a nurse line. We do about three thousand plus calls a month, and I'm personally involved with leading my nurse team through those frontline calls, um, which we're just fielding from all over the country. So, if anything today or tonight, I hope I have kind of the frontline perspective, you know, kind of what's actually happening on the ground. And I think I have some really valuable information for your listeners, um, for whatever age they are, whatever state they are. Yeah. And what's working and what's practical. Well, that's, that's excellent because I know we get barraged with uh, so much information and the information we get uh, oftentimes is contradictory. And Mm -hmm. there seems to be sides where one side seems to say the other side is lying and, and vice versa. Uh, you know, quite, quite, quite a dilemma that we're having. But uh, tell us about um, what's going on with different treatments now that we're, we're into September. Tell us about the treatments that are predominant out there and, and accepted and are working. Absolutely. So what I want to give your listeners is what is really practical in the community or home setting. You know, I think, unfortunately, So much of our news feeds um, are dominated either by controversial treatments, uh, dangerous treatments, things, you know, just the controversy of what's going on, um, or hospital treatments, you know, all those horror stories of people in ICUs and on ventilators and all of that. There's so much good stuff going on in community care, public health, on the front lines, while you're at home with COVID care. I definitely want to set you up for this, okay? Okay. Let me start with basic treatments first, okay? This is just if anybody is um, suspects they have COVID or confirmed COVID. Now, unfortunately, now, whether you're vaccinated or not, you still have a risk. Now, obviously, if you're vaccinated, your risk is much, much lower. 
and the acuity is going to be much, much lower. So we're still really encouraging vaccination. But either way, um, if you do get COVID or you think you have COVID, there's some basic things you should just do at home. And this really gets people through this, okay? It's, it's a 10-day run rate. It can be pretty brutal and painful. But let's start with just good to great hygiene, okay? Good to great. We're, a lot of us are good at hygiene. Let's really get great at hygiene in this new world. Of course, within the home setting, that's hand washing, hydration, okay? I know that doesn't necessarily sound like hygiene. I may be misstepping a little bit, but one of the best things to keep you at home, even if you're sick, whether it's with COVID or any infectious disease, is staying well hydrated, being very mindful that you're drinking electrolytes, keeping up on that. A good diet, vitamins and minerals. I know I, I take my senior one-a-day vitamins. Let's now move into respiratory hygiene, okay? Respiratory hygiene, wearing masks. You know, don't be embarrassed if you are going into high-risk areas. Put your mask back on, whether you're vaccinated or not. Just use common sense. Well, what's a, what's I, a high-risk area? Um, any, you know, like malls, big restaurants, closed indoor areas, um, because you don't know, you know, who just got off of a flight from, you know, a, a very hot spread area how close they're going to be to you. And we know that Delta and the new variants, you know, are really much more contagious. So don't be embarrassed to wear a mask if you're in closed public areas. Um, just and, and you know what? Here's the good news. Not only are you not going to get COVID, you're less likely to get influenza, <clears throat> develop a pneumonia, or RSV. Um, the next thing is don't underestimate the power of humidity. <clears throat> if you get a respiratory infection, or, um, you know, some sort of respiratory illness, um, really start getting yourself around a lot of humidity, a humidifier. Um, a lot of people don't realize, when I worked at Children's Hospital, we put kids in humidity tents. I mean, that's how helpful that is. Um, finally, if you do get sick with a respiratory infection, really work on deep breathing exercises. We do these in the hospital. This is pre-ICU stuff. You can start doing this at home at any time. Very slow, deep breath. Hold them for about five slow seconds. Slowly exhale, just like a muscle. You're just expanding your alveoli. And finally, repositioning. If, heaven forbid, you end up on your back at sick at home, don't just lay on your back. Now, my daughter-in-law is working in a very high-impact COVID ICU unit in Texas. And they, they still are repositioning patients frequently to their stomach, sides, and back, kind of like a rotisserie. One thing you want to do if you get sick is, well, one thing you don't want to do is just lay on your back all day. You know, those, that, those secretions in your lungs can become very stagnant, and that's where you can set yourself up for pneumonia. So this is just good common sense, good hygiene. Get good at it as we move forward. Now, the next thing I want to talk about mm -hmm. is monoclonal antibodies. And I think this has been a sleeper I've heard of those. story. Yeah, I think this is a sleeper story or this gets caught up with all the other nonsense in the news about dewormers and colloidal silver, monoclonal antibodies. This is not, this is very different. Monoclonal antibodies has been granted FDA emergency use authorization. It's highly effective. And very what, now what, what, what is, now the term is monoclonal, like a clone, monoclonal. Right. 
antibodies. What what actually is that? You know, this is amazing stuff. It came out around November of 2020. A lot of people don't know this, but actually a lot of this research was developed at the Ohio State University Hospital. So it, it's a, an Ohio homegrown technology, and it's um, having wide use. So what it is, um, scientists have been able to uh, manufacture or create the exact antibody. They clone it from a unique white blood cell, and it is the exact antibody needed to fight the COVID-spiked protein. So imagine you're not getting another person's uh, white blood cells, or it's, it's not a transfusion. It's actually a, a sterile manufactured cloned antibody. And what it does, it, it comes into your blood system. It's a one-time infusion. And it, um, it gives your immune system a big head start, uh, a big jump to particularly fight against the COVID spiked protein. And um, it's highly, highly effective at safe at keeping people from um, getting sicker, um, being hospitalized, dying, all of that. It goes by the name of Rengen, Cove, or Regeneron, or Citro. Um, I can't say the other word, but just look it up. Um, it has been credited with preventing thousands, hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and deaths. Very few side effects. Well, when is um, it appropriate to request monoclonal antibodies? Like Regeneron, oh, this is, you, you have to have symptoms timing. or just a positive? Sure. Perfect timing, yeah. Ooh, we, so have about, we have about formally, a minute until a, a break here. All righty. It's formally approved for 12 years old enough, but you must have some sort of risk, either um, obesity, a chronic condition, an immunocompromised system, or if you're just simply over 65, you qualify, and you have to have a positive uh, PCR COVID test. So uh, I'll finish this up after the break, but if you think you have COVID or you've been exposed, the first step is to get a, a COVID PCR test to validate if you're going to qualify or not um, for the monoclonal antibodies. And they are being done in the community centers. I looked up Cleveland. Um, all of the major university hospitals are doing it within the Cleveland system. So this will be at your fingertips. And I can kind of explain um, the next steps. Uh, after the break. Okay, well, uh, when we, we come back, uh, I know that you do work for an insurance company, and the cost for monoclonal antibodies uh, must be something. Uh, is this standard? Real quick a answer for this one. Is it standard of care at this point to, if you're positive yeah. and you're over 65, to get it, and you should get it and be paid for? Absolutely, especially because the FDA has granted that emergency use, and along with the Government COVID Care Act, government has really stepped in to keep insurers accountable for providing good COVID care. This is definitely well, don't don't well, let take, monoclonal antibodies. Hold, hold your hold your thought. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate on WHK. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Chris Phillips, the frontline uh, person handling uh, a large call center on the East Coast. 
uh, talking about uh, what kind of treatments are available for COVID uh, at, at this time. And we're talking about monoclonal antibodies. Chris, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. So where we left off is I don't want your, I, I want your listeners to not let monoclonal antibody treatment get lost in all of the noise <laughs> in the news with all the controversies and all the silly stuff going around. It's been highly effective, very safe. We've been referring a lot of patients of all ages all over the country to get this. It's probably the closest thing we have to an approved cure right now. Um, so what happens is um, the FDA uh, granted emergency use of these. They've been used since November of 2020. They are manufactured sterile. They're not from another patient. They are the exact antibody that your body needs to fight the COVID protein spike. And if you believe you have COVID and you're at a high-risk population that's over 65, obese or have a chronic condition, and you have a positive test, within the first 10 days of your symptoms, you may qualify for this treatment. And it is accounted for preventing hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and possible deaths. So don't underestimate this. What will happen well, this is, this is, an, is it... Yeah, go ahead and tell us. It's an, an infusion? Right. It's a one-time infusion. Okay, it's usually done on an outpatient basis at an infusion center at one of the major hospitals. Um, I did validate that your major hospitals up there are providing this, the Cleveland Clinic, Metro Health, University Health, SUMA, Western Reserve. There's probably more, but those are the big ones that are providing the service. This is what you do. If either you or a loved one are in this high-risk category, over 65 or obese or have a significant chronic condition, it's really worth it to kind of get a game plan together, whether you're vaccinated or not. Unfortunately, Delta and the other variants are, are hitting all populations pretty hard, although your chances of surviving and doing well with vaccines are much, much higher. However, if you're in a high-risk area or position, research where you would go if you got COVID and if it got bad so that you can get to one of these treatments in less than 10 days. Now, remember, you're going to need a positive COVID PCR test to qualify. And if it's taking two or three or four days to get a PCR test back, that's already spinning some of these 10-day windows that you have. So you don't want to do that. You want to know what to do. Um, I was just talking to a, a family member who's at high risk who um, was exposed to someone with COVID. And I said, go ahead and line up your test now, because if you're positive and if you start getting bad symptoms, you're going to want to make a beeline for monoclonal antibodies. So you've got to be within those first 10 days of your symptoms. Uh, you um, cannot be too sick, okay? You cannot require oxygen or hospitalization. This is perfectly placed for community, community care. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize there's a very, very viable, successful, safe treatment now for COVID in the community. And that's what the monoclonal antibodies are. Once, what remind, you're us, to do, remind us, hold, hold that thought, but what are the symptoms we should be watching for? Probably the same as we had early on, or are they different? Um, they're, they're very similar, just broadened a little bit. And I get asked this question a lot, so I'm going to talk from the highest symptoms to the lowest. Obviously, a fever over 100, a fever over 100. 
So um, we just, in the medical community, we just don't consider temperatures of 99.8 a fever, <laughs> even if you normally run 96. Okay, we really start looking at fevers at 100 or higher, um, a new or worsening cough. Now, primarily an unexpected new cough. Now, if you generally get allergies this time of year and you have a, a, a dry hacking cough or you always have a dry hacking cough, that doesn't count. Uh, so it would be a new or, or increasing cough, certainly any kind of chest congestion. Um, well, let, me ask about the, let me ask about the cough. With the cough, mm -hmm. does it matter whether it's productive, like producing phlegm, versus a non-productive cough, a dry cough? No, we've seen both in the COVID profile. Yeah, we've seen both. Um, so um, want to be careful about that. You definitely want to be careful if you've been told that you've been exposed directly to somebody with COVID recently. Uh, once again, within six feet for more than 15 minutes without masks, that should, whether you're vaccinated or not, because of the variants, that should all automatically put you on high alert. We still have the symptom of loss or diminished of taste or smell. That's a classic. Not as much, though, with the Delta. And then the Delta has also shown us a little bit more just sore throats, general sore throats. So I don't want you, your viewers, to feel like they have to rush to an urgent care with just, you know, a, a new sore throat or, or a chronic cough. Um, but just kind of be aware of what we call the constellation <laughs> of symptoms and how they're presenting or newly presenting um, before you get tested. Um, so, so that would so you kind of look for those symptoms. Um, you position yourself with an action plan. If if you're at high risk or loved ones at high risk, you should have an action plan. Know where you're going to go to get tested, how long it's going to take. And then where you're going to want to go to get monoclonal antibodies. Um, I would definitely look at the major health system and look at their urgent cares website. Um, you know, it's daunting to think you don't want to show up to the Cleveland Clinic emergency room. However, if you can, if you can make it uh, to a Cleveland Clinic urgent care, Metro Health urgent care, the urgent cares are really, um, are, are really geared towards making that transition of somebody in the community who's high risk being able to get into the pipeline rather quickly for monoclonal antibodies. Obviously, you don't want to wait till you're going to the emergency room. So I would research right. that ahead and be ready for that. At, at, the, at the urgent care centers, uh, are they able to give infusions of the monoclonal antibodies at the urgent care centers? They could, but I've not been seeing that. What I have been seeing is that within the health system, they already have existing outpatient infusion centers. You just don't know about them because you don't need those. But the urgent cares play the role of triaging and getting you scheduled for them. Um, so you're gonna, you're, if you think that you're gonna need monoclonal antibodies, um, you're gonna end up doing either a virtual visit or a live visit at one of the major health systems urgent cares they will, that provider will do a quick 15, 20 minute evaluation and then they'll put you in the queue for monoclonal antibodies and then tell you where to go. Now, uh, a, a couple of thoughts because we have about uh, a couple of minutes here. The, we have two things going concerning whether people are vaccinated or not. Uh, let, let's right. first talk about the unvaccinated who have made 
a decision based on whatever reasons not to be vaccinated, would their same rationale hold for getting or not getting the monoclonal uh, antibodies? Or should yeah, they yeah. definitely get that? Are they going to refuse that? Or have you seen any of that? Well, that's a great question. You know, people have all kinds of reasons why they're not getting vaccinated. Um, it is a different, um, it's definitely a, a different methodology being used with vaccines. Um, there's no, you know, messenger RNA um, stuff going on there. Um, I would say um, this is probably more more similar to the J&J vaccine, which is your traditional vector vaccine. Uh, it's going to be a matter of personal interest um, and convictions. But let me tell you this. Out of all the calls I'm taking, unvaccinated people by far are more sick, more acute, and more anxious. And they're now more willing to get treatment. If you are unvaccinated, you get very sick at home. You, it's too late. You cannot get the vaccine while you're sick. However, you can pivot to monoclonal antibodies as an unvaccinated, acutely ill person at home. So I think that's the deal breaker. I think people come to their senses, right. think, I really need treatment. I don't want to die at home. And they pivot. And then that kind of introduces them, I think, hopefully to, to modern medicine and COVID prevention. Real quick, we have about a minute to go here. The uh, the thought of people who are vaccinated, uh, same rules apply. If they start developing symptoms, they think they may have an active case of COVID, a breakthrough case of COVID, uh, still getting the yeah. monoclonal is still helpful to them. Absolutely. Yep, yep. And if you do get the monoclonal antibodies, um, you still want to get vaccinated afterwards, not immediately. Um, monoclonal antibodies right now are only known to have three months of protection, um, protection window. Uh, but yeah, whether you're vaccinated or not, if you have active symptoms and you're at high risk, wow. you want to get in line for this. For very sure. good. Very, very good. Well, Chris Phillips, thank you so very much for bringing us up to date. And we're going to have to have you on next month. Let us know how this is working. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, at this time in the month, we're now celebrating, not celebrating, we're recognizing 9-11, New York, Washington, Shanksville. Uh, with us tonight, we have uh, someone who is actually at Ground Zero back in New York City, back on the uh, 11th of September of the year 2001. Uh, Michael Letts. Michael, thank you for joining us tonight. It's always my privilege to be with a show that's doing so much to improve the lives of Americans. Well, it's very important that we take the opportunities to do that whenever and however possible. Uh, 9-11, something for us people who were there and around when that happened, we all have our stories as far as what happened when we first heard of what happened. And um, anyway, with... With regard to you, first off, tell us about yourself. Uh, how are you involved in first responders, and what what was your career 
leading up to 9-11 of 2001. I have been involved with law enforcement for over 30 years and have been a chaplain as well with the various agencies as well as a firefighter and continue to actually hold commissions in all three. But uh, we first saw the images begin to come across on that fateful Tuesday morning of September the 11th. My training instinctively knew that this would be an overwhelming hit on the agencies, NYPD, NYFD, and others. And they would not be able to handle this crisis without the outpouring of support that America is so greatly known for. We are a nation that has a spirit of unity and support in time of crisis. And so we immediately began to plan what would be the next phase. Of course, it made it more difficult because air transportation was shut down and you would need to uh, get there on your own driving transportation-wise. Now, a lot of agencies sent fire trucks and other equipment later, but we knew that it was important to get people on the ground just as quickly as possible. So within 48 hours, we were within New York City. Imagine coming up on the scene. I tell people it was devastating, I think would be the best word, at the magnitude of what had transpired. Those that were can hear my voice know that either if they're first responders or not, if you see a house fire, et cetera, there's residual afterwards, there's, there's debris, et cetera. But this was not debris. This was literally 20, 30, 40, 50 feet or more in the air of rubble, knowing that there were thousands of people that were either trapped in that rubble. Some of them might still be alive, and in fact, we did get some out. Uh, majority probably would not be. But knowing that time was of the essence, realizing the amount of labor and effort that would be required to save whatever lives might still be available, it was it was overwhelming. It was daunting. People could just look at you and kind of think to themselves, this is just not doable. But that's not the American spirit. That's not the spirit and our values that we in America have. We take challenges. We have strong faith. We believe that we will work until the issue is accomplished, and that's what I saw in that spirit, and I saw a gracious spirit in the city of New York for the days that we were there. And as difficult as it was to be able to not just perform search and rescue as a firefighter, but also as a chaplain to provide grievance and crisis counseling for those, especially for the children who are trying to see, where is my mama? Where is my daddy? And, of course, some of those were from families of officers. I mean, the greatest comfort I took was being able to tell them, you know, your mama, your daddy's a hero. Mm-hmm. They made sure that other people were able to live, and that's what we do. And that's what they, I'm sure, trained you to do. Tell, tell me about the, the write-up, because you're from South Carolina, right? Yes, sir. And you came up with a group of people from, from your area. Were they all first responders? Were they all police? Were they fire? Were they were there other chaplains? or Who were you coming Chaplain. up with? I came up. Initially, the quickest one we were able to grab hold of were chaplains. So we initially took a group of chaplains who were also, some like myself, law enforcement or firefighters. And we made that initial trip. 
And of course, the great thing about it is you can trade off and just drive it straight through. Now, when you're driving up, or you're driving like in, in marked uh, fire vehicles or police vehicles or in private cars. Yeah. Nope, marked. Uh, we did get permission from the agencies to use the uh, vehicles that had been assigned to us. And, my uh, next was- question. My, my next question is: As you're driving from South Carolina to New York, what was that drive like? And uh, I'm, I'm assuming other drivers on the road who saw you in that that fire vehicle knew exactly where you were heading. What, what was that trip like? And I will tell you, it was somber, but it was again. And I, I used this illustration before. Yes, it was a grievous day, knowing that my brothers and sisters had sacrificed their lives to save the lives of others. But it was also immense pride, knowing that they were able to accomplish what we're trained to do. And it was that same spirit as you traveled and traversed along the road to New York. People knew where you were going. They waved. They were friendly. They were somber. But they were very respectful and very grateful. And um, that's defined. Well, we went through, the entire nation went through that trauma together in various ways. But but when you got up to New York, uh, how what did you do? How did you report in? Was there anyone to report to? It wasn't. They were still in the process of trying to put implement the strategic plans. Of course, every agency has a rough plan or an idea, but we knew where to go, and we knew it didn't take but a second to figure out the locations that had been set up as trauma centers. And once we reported in and they realized who we were, we were welcomed with open arms. You know, I, I find this, your listeners may find this ironic. I had been to New York previous times in the past. Uh, I was a, a competitive weightlifter, so we had some competitions there, et cetera. And I always had the impression, you know, I'm a Southern boy. And I always had the impression that, you know, uh, New Yorkers were perhaps somewhat abrupt, I think maybe an appropriate word. Certainly mm-hmm. not as friendly as but all that was dispelled on that day. They had a whole different attitude, and it was just a, a camaraderie, a brotherhood. Thank you for being here to come help take care of us. And uh, that spirit is what transcends everything else across America. As as a chaplain and uh, coming upon all the carnage, uh, this, this horrible thing that happened so suddenly with all the deaths and everything, uh, how? Who are you responding to? Who are you providing chaplain services? Survivors, I assume. Uh, survivors and family members and co-workers. Yes, uh, without question. And I, I tell you, what was interesting in notes and reflection afterwards. Of course, of me having uh, experience in all three chaplain, law enforcement, and firefighting, we made the determination we had to assess the situation. What were we best needed to work? We best helped to begin with. Right. Well, a lot of things you will see when you go into natural disasters, people come in and want to loot, want to flood, you know, want to gawk, et cetera, et cetera. There wasn't that situation here. People didn't want to be there. They wanted to be away from there. You, uh, if you were going in, you were going in for a reason. There were not floods of people going in. So the point I'm making is that the people who were there were there for a specific reason. They were looking for a loved one. They were looking for those that uh, first responders who had responded. They had a specific reason, so you knew that the people you were dealing with were there for a purpose, and what was that purpose? You were trying to help meet the need of that purpose. 
It was to find loved ones. We're doing our best with search and rescue. Uh, but we also know that you're going to need some grief counseling because uh, the outlook of finding a lot of survivors was not was very dismal from day one. Well, that and that sort of stayed, you know, throughout the whole course of the rescue and recovery. There, there wasn't much rescue. Uh, the uh, I understand the hospitals were set waiting for casualties that never showed up because you either got out or you didn't get out of the buildings. That is, that is correct. Like I said, we hit, we did have a handful that we rescued that were survivors. And, of course, it brought great uh, joy and uh, enthusiasm when that occurred. But the spirit, the grimness, was uh, like a cloud over you because you really realized that that was a great exception, not the rule, and the vast majority who were there, too. In fact, we began to realize it wasn't even just to recover bodies because uh, most of the bodies have been decimated. Totally destroyed. We're we're going to take a short break. We're we're talking to Michael Lutz, the first responder from South Carolina who responded to New York City after the Twin Towers were were destroyed on 9-11. We're going to be back talking with Michael about uh, his uh, recollections and his experiences in New York on that uh, day during that time. We'll be right back. We'll take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And We're talking tonight to Michael Lutz. He's a first responder from South Carolina who, after 9-11, he responded shortly after the incident up there as a chaplain, firefighter, and law enforcement officer to help out. Mike, thanks so much for uh, talking to us tonight about 9-11. Well, thank you once again. It's my privilege to be able to discuss this with part of the show. Well, thank you for your services in leaving South Carolina and running up to New York to go into that that danger zone up there. Uh, When when you got there, as we were talking during the last uh, segment about the fact there weren't survivors, or there are a couple of survivors, maybe a small handful of survivors, but by and large, the carnage was was terrific, and people were uh, looking for, for loved ones or information for loved ones. We, um, my daughter lived in Manhattan at the time, and uh, she still works in Manhattan. But I remember going out there to visit her shortly after and uh, walking by the fire stations and seeing the fences that were loaded with photographs of loved ones asking, have you seen this person? It was heartbreaking to see that. Um, I, I would assume that as a chaplain, you had the chance to talk to some of these family members who were looking for... Uh, family members who they were never going to see again. Uh, how did that go? Yes, uh, that is accurate. We actually lost count on how many family members that we talked to. But the question was always the same. Um, what do you think? Is there any hope? Do um, you think I'll ever see my loved ones again? And, of course, you have to be careful. You don't want to give, you want to give encouragement, but you don't want to give false hope. And you let the family know that, look, first and foremost, these are American heroes. They're the finest anywhere in the world. 
and they are doing night and day, 24-7, many, many without breaks, uh, to determine to provide an answer if one is available. Uh, it is a grim outlook. I think we can, we can all tell by looking that the outlook is not going to be favorable. But I will tell you this, it brings out the best in the spirit of America, and it brings out the best in those that are trying to help their neighbors. And you will certainly be the recipient of neighbors reaching out and helping. And uh, at the end of the day, our faith is what sustains us. We do not know the purpose behind it, but God is still in control. And you need to take comfort in the fact that um, together he will give us the strength to take it one day at a time. And that's what we would tell people. Not now, not today. We, we haven't found anything, but we will continue to search. How did you do? Did you get anywhere near burnout after seeing person after person, possibly hundreds if not more people, going through the same psychological trauma of, of losing loved ones uh, with, without ever having to say goodbye or being able to? How, how did that affect you? Yes, it has a permanent effect. I mean, um, it's something you can't erase from your memory. It's something you can't erase from your mental condition. You know, uh, being around such negativity certainly brings you down. But there's always ways to counter that. And when you realize that I'm doing something that I love doing, which is helping people, and that's what I would stress to your listeners, these true American heroes talking about our first responders certainly don't do it for the pay. They certainly don't do it for the accolades. They do it because they love to help people. And when you begin to realize that even in this grievous time, you're having the opportunity to help countless families, it gives you the sustenance to be able to continue to move forward and to put a spin on the negative thoughts that you're having and say, you know, we're making a difference. We're making a difference. When when you got out there, and you saw the magnitude, the number of people who were involved in the search and rescue and recovery efforts. Uh, what what did you see with regard to the ability for them to coordinate in communications? And and what what was the fallout from this whole nine eleven situation with regard to communications and things like this? Sure. Well, I think that's one of the things that's most predominant in the reports of the nine eleven commission is a lack of interoperability. And uh, most people really don't give it any thought, but agencies, and we're talking about nationwide now, most agencies have the ability for their folks to be able to communicate with, within their department and uh, really don't have ability to communicate to other frequencies, to other agencies. What we have found out over the years, especially on larger scale, is one agency certainly can't handle any kind of situation like this. They depend on agencies literally from across the country to help. And it would be one thing, Nick, if the technology wasn't there. But the technology is there to allow interoperability, to allow frequencies to be channeled into one uh, particular goal so that we can all hear and all communicate at the same time. This costs us the lives of first responders there at 9-11 because when the Communication was given to evacuate the building. Not all agencies were on the same frequency. Not all agencies got that communication. And, of course, a lot of them who got it probably would not have 
heated it anyway. Probably would have stayed to try to get a few more people out. But still, it was very disappointing that our agencies couldn't communicate one to the other, and that really hampered the ability to have a good coordinated effort. And we see that it problem still exists today. We have um, 9-11, uh, I mean, the um, infrastructure bill that is being considered the $3.5 trillion. There's nothing in there to deal with the infrastructure for interoperability for agencies. And that's one of the things that I tell folks is that has to change in this country is the perception that has developed over the last 15, 20 years about our first responders. They've been vilified. They've been denied funding defund the police, they've been denied equipment, denied protective gear. And that's the thin blue line that's going to be there if this comes back again. And quite frankly, with the debacle in Afghanistan, first time I've ever seen America is not being put first, but being left behind enemy lines. Many things I think are coming out now. What is Our government has changed its priorities and objectives and has not been truthful with the American people. But I think what we're going to begin to see is that now that we have a base in Afghanistan, once again, in fact, one of the most highly equipped bases, uh, $85 billion worth of equipment we left behind. We have porous borders that will allow terrorists to easily get in and infiltrate America again. We will see terrorism attacks in this country again, and it's that thin blue line that's going to be there to defend and a thin red line to help provide the rescue. We've got to change the attitude. We've got to start supporting them. We give them the respect, the equipment, and the financing they deserve if they're going to be up to doing the job. You know, you mentioned Afghanistan, and, and I think we look at Afghanistan as being a center for terrorism, at least for the nurturing and support of terrorism. And I don't think the terrorists are done with the United States yet. Um, are we prepared for another terrorist attack? We are not. It's very easy to answer that question. We are not. With the attitude that we have seen you know, trying to destroy our first responders in state and local regions by defunding, by not giving equipment, by creating re- policies and regulations that make it impossible to do their job, no, we're a long way from being ready. But yet we've now been thrust back into that limelight. It's coming, folks, and we better change our mindset and start changing our priorities if we're going to survive. Well, that's why preparation is so important. Other, otherwise, when something terrible happens, just reacting to it is um, it's not preferable to being prepared for something. So let's let's hope we still are, are able to do that. Uh, I just want to throw out something uh, about you: is that you have a company that seeks uh, donations, and provides bulletproof vests law enforcement and other first responders. Thank you for doing that. What's the name of your company? It's, it's a public charity, a national charity called Invest USA. That's I-N-D-E-S-T-U-S-A dot org. It's a charity, dot O-R-G. And we raise funds to provide a protective equipment to agencies in need. Currently, 92% of officers nationwide do not have active shooter vests. Those are the best that are able to protect it for rifle rounds. And that's just one aspect of many things. There's interoperability. There's other things that need to be done. It's time we take the role of force responders seriously the way it was intended to be and make sure that we give them the adequate resources to do the job that we depend on. Well, I, I agree. We, we can't just think of them 
when we have these great tragedies, and it may happen again. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your your insights and recollections. Thank you, Nick, and thank you for what you do, and God bless America. And I amen to that. And thank all of you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.